the source of the speeches I use here on the Choice Voice podcast comes from a list of the top 100 speeches as compiled by researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Texas A&M University, among other places. It reflects the opinions of more than 100 leading scholars of public address. My choice of speeches should not be construed to reflect or promote any point of view. They are simply considered great speeches. Of course, the reason you listen to a choice voice varies from an interest in the subject matter and what you might do with it to a general appreciation of a great voice ready to read your commercials, audiobooks, or other voice acting projects, you can ask for more information in the A Choice Voice subreddit on, you guessed it, Reddit. And that, of course, is linked in the show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, Bishop Desmond Tutu. Ladies and gentlemen, before I left South Africa, a land I love passionately, we had an emergency meeting of the Executive Committee of the South African Council of Churches with the leaders of our member churches. We called the meeting because of the deepening crisis in our land, which has claimed nearly 200 lives this year alone. We visited some of the trouble spots on the Witwaterstrand. I went with others to the East Rand. We visited the home of an old lady. She told us, She looked after her grandson and the children of neighbors while their parents were at work. One day, the police chased some pupils who had been boycotting classes, but they disappeared between the township houses. The police drove down the old lady's street. She was sitting at the back of the house in her kitchen, whilst her charges were playing in the front of the house in the yard. Her daughter rushed into the house, calling out to her to come quickly. The old lady dashed out of the kitchen Into the living room, her grandson had fallen just inside the door, dead. He had been shot in the back by the police. He was six years old. A few weeks later, a white mother trying to register her black servant for work drove through a black township. Black rioters stoned her car and killed her baby of a few months old, the first white casualty of the current unrest in South Africa. Such deaths are too, too many. These are part of the high cost of apartheid. Every day in a squatter camp near Cape Town called KTC, the authorities have been demolishing flimsy plastic shelters, which black mothers have erected because they were taking their marriage vows seriously. They have been reduced to sitting on soaking mattresses with their household effects strewn round their feet and whimpering babies on their laps in the cold Cape winter rain. Every day, the authorities have carried out these callous demolitions. What heinous crime have these women committed to be hounded like criminals in this manner? All they have wanted is to be with their husbands, the fathers of their children. Everywhere else in the world, they would be highly commended. But in South Africa, a land which claims to be Christian and which boasts a public holiday called Family Day, these gallant women are treated so inhumanely. And yet, all they want is to have a decent and stable family life. Unfortunately, in the land of their birth, it is a criminal offense for them to live happily with their husbands and the fathers of their children. Black family life is thus being undermined, not accidentally, but by deliberate government policy. It is part of the price human beings, God's children, are called to pay for apartheid, an unacceptable price. I come from a beautiful land richly endowed by God, with wonderful natural resources, wide expanses, rolling mountains, 
singing birds, bright, shining stars out of blue skies with radiant sunshine, golden sunshine. There is enough of the good things that come from God's bounty. There is enough for everyone. But apartheid has confirmed some in their selfishness, causing them to grasp greedily a disproportionate share, the lion's share, because of their power. They have taken 87% of the land, though being only about 20% of our population. The rest have had to make do with the remaining 13%. Apartheid has decreed the politics of exclusion. 73% of the population is excluded from any meaningful participation in the political decision-making processes of the land of their birth. The new constitution, making provision of three chambers for whites, coloreds, and Indians, mentions blacks only once and thereafter ignores them completely. Thus, this new constitution landed in parts of the West as a step in the right direction entrenches racism and ethnicity. The constitutional committees are composed in the ratio of four whites to two coloreds and one Indian, zero black. Two plus one can never equal, let alone be more than four. Hence, this constitution perpetuates by law and entrenches white minority rule. Blacks are expected to exercise their political ambitions in unviable, poverty-stricken, arid, Bantustan homelands, ghettos of misery, inexhaustible reservoirs of cheap black labor, Bantustans into which South Africa is being balkanized. Blacks are systematically being stripped of their South African citizenship and being turned into aliens in the land of their birth. This is apartheid's final solution, just as Nazism had its final solution for the Jews in Hitler's Aryan madness. The South African government is smart. Aliens can claim but very few rights, least of all political rights. In pursuance of apartheid's ideological racist dream, over three million of God's children have been uprooted from their homes, which have been demolished, whilst they have then been dumped in the Bantustan homeland resettlement camps. I say dumped advisedly. Only things or rubbish is dumped, not human beings. Apartheid has, however, ensured that God's children, just because they are black, should be treated as if they were things and not as of infinite value as being created in the image of God. These dumping grounds are far from where work and food can be procured easily. Children starve, suffer from the often irreversible consequences of malnutrition. This happens to them not accidentally, but by deliberate government policy. They starve in a land that could be the breadbasket of Africa, a land that normally is a net exporter of food. The father leaves his family in the Bantustan homelands, there eking out a miserable existence, whilst he, if he is lucky, goes to the so-called white man's town as a migrant to live an unnatural life in a single-sex hostel for 11 months of the year, being prey there to prostitution, drunkenness, and worse. This migratory labor policy is declared government policy and has been condemned even by the white Dutch Reformed Church, not noted for being quick to criticize the government as a cancer in our society. This cancer, eating away at the vitals of black family life, is deliberate government policy. It is part of the cost of apartheid, exorbitant in terms of human suffering. Apartheid has spawned discriminatory education, such as Bantu education, education for serfdom, ensuring that the government spends only about one-tenth on one black child per annum for education, what it spends on a white child. It is education that is decidedly separate and unequal. 
It is to be wantonly wasteful of human resources, because so many of God's children are prevented by deliberate government policy from attaining to their fullest potential. South Africa is paying a heavy price already for this iniquitous policy because there is a desperate shortage of skilled manpower, a direct result of the short-sighted schemes of the racist regime. It is a moral universe that we inhabit, and good and right equity matter in the universe of the God we worship. And so, in this matter, the South African government and its supporters are being properly hoisted with their own petard. Apartheid is upheld by a phalanx of iniquitous laws, such as the Population Registration Act, which decrees that all South Africans must be classified ethnically and duly registered according to these race categories. Many times, in the same family, one child has been classified white, whilst another, with a slightly darker hue, has been classified colored, with all the horrible consequences for the latter of being shut out from membership of a greatly privileged caste. There have, as a result, been several child suicides. This is too high a price to pay for racial purity, for it is doubtful whether any end, however desirable, can justify such a means. There are laws, such as the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act, which regards marriages between a white and a person of another race as illegal. Race becomes an impediment to a valid marriage. Two persons who have fallen in love are prevented by race from consummating their love in the marriage bond. Something beautiful is made to be sordid and ugly. The Immorality Act decrees that fornication and adultery are illegal if they happen between a white and one of another race. The police are reduced to the level of peeping toms to catch couples red-handed. Many whites have committed suicide rather than face the disastrous consequences that follow in the train of even just being charged under this law. The cost is too great and intolerable. Such an evil system, totally indefensible by normally acceptable methods, relies on a whole phalanx of draconian laws such as the security legislation which is almost peculiar to South Africa. There are the laws which permit the indefinite detention of persons whom the Minister of Law and Order has decided are a threat to the security of the state. They are detained at his pleasure, in solitary confinement, without access to their family, their own doctor, or a lawyer. That is severe punishment when the evidence apparently available to the minister has not been tested in an open court. Perhaps it could stand up to such rigorous scrutiny. Perhaps not. We are never to know. It is a far too convenient device for a repressive regime, and the minister would have to be extra special not to succumb to the temptation to circumvent the awkward process of testing his evidence in an open court. And thus, he lets his power under the law to be open to the abuse where he is both judge and prosecutor. Many, too many, have died mysteriously in detention. All this is too costly in terms of human lives. The minister is able, too, to place people under banning orders without being subjected to the annoyance of the checks and balances of due process. A banned person for three or five years becomes a non-person who cannot be quoted during the period of her banning order. She cannot attend a gathering, which means more than one other person. Two persons together talking to a banned person are a gathering. She cannot attend the wedding or funeral of even her own child without special permission. She must be at home from 6 p.m. of one day to 6 a.m. of the next, 
and on all public holidays, and from 6 p.m. on Fridays until 6 a.m. on Mondays for three years. She cannot go on holiday outside the magisterial area to which she has been confined. She cannot go to the cinema nor to a picnic. That is severe punishment inflicted without the evidence allegedly justifying it being made available to the banned person nor having it scrutinized in a court of law. It is a serious erosion and violation of basic human rights of which blacks have precious few in the land of their birth. They do not enjoy the rights of freedom of movement and association. They do not enjoy freedom of security of tenure, the right to participate in the making of decisions that affect their lives. In short, this land, richly endowed in so many ways, is sadly lacking in justice. Once, a Zambian and a South African, it is said, were talking. The Zambian then boasted about their Minister of Naval Affairs. The South African asked, But you have no Navy, no access to the sea. How, then, can you have a Minister of Naval Affairs? The Zambian retorted, Well, in South Africa, you have a Minister of Justice, don't you? It is against this system that our people have sought to protest peacefully since 1912 at least with the founding of the African National Congress. They have used the conventional methods of peaceful protest, petitions, demonstrations, deputations, and even a passive resistance campaign. A tribute to our people's commitment to peaceful change is the fact that the only South Africans to win the Nobel Peace Prize are both black. Our people are peace-loving to a fault. The response of the authorities has been an escalating intransigence and violence. The violence of police dogs, tear gas, detention without trial, exile, and even death. Our people protested peacefully against the past laws in 1960, and 69 of them were killed on March 21, 1960 at Sharpville. Many shot in the back, running away. Our children protested against inferior education, singing songs and displaying placards and marching peacefully. Many in 1976, on June 16th and subsequent times, were killed or imprisoned. Over 500 people died in that uprising. Many children went into exile. The whereabouts of many are unknown to their parents. At present, to protest that self-same discriminatory education and the exclusion of blacks from the new constitutional dispensation, the sham local black government, rising unemployment, increased rents, and general sales tax, our people have boycotted and demonstrated. They have staged a successful two-day stay-away. Over 150 people have been killed. It is far too high a price to pay. There has been little revulsion or outrage at this wanton destruction of human life in the West. In parenthesis, can somebody please explain to me something that has puzzled me? When a priest goes missing and is subsequently found dead, the media in the West carry his story in very extensive coverage. I am glad that the death of one person can cause so much concern, but in the selfsame week when this priest is found dead, the South African police kill 24 blacks who had been participating in the protest, and 6,000 blacks are sacked for being similarly involved. And you are lucky to get that much coverage. Are we being told something I do not want to believe? That we blacks are expendable and that blood is thicker than water? That when it comes to the crunch, you cannot trust whites, that they will club together against us? I do not want to believe that is the message being conveyed to us. Be that as it may, 
We see before us a land bereft of much justice, and therefore without peace and security. Unrest is endemic, and will remain an unchanging feature of the South African scene, until apartheid, the root cause of it all, is finally dismantled. At this time, the army is being quartered on the civilian population. There is a civil war being waged. South Africans are on either side. When the African National Congress and the Pan-Africanist Congress were banned in 1960, they declared that they had no option but to carry out the armed struggle. We, in the South African Council of Churches, have said we are opposed to all forms of violence, that of a repressive and unjust system, and that of those who seek to overthrow that system. However, we have added that we understand those who say they have had to adopt what is a last resort for them. Violence is not being introduced into the South African situation de novo from outside by those who are called terrorists or freedom fighters, depending on whether you are oppressed or an oppressor. The South African situation is violent already, and the primary violence is that of apartheid. The violence of forced population removals, of inferior education, of detention without trial, of the migratory labor system, etc. There is war on the border of our country. South African faces fellow South African. South African soldiers are fighting against Namibians who oppose the illegal occupation of their country by South Africa, which has sought to extend its repressive system of apartheid, unjust and exploitative. There is no peace in Southern Africa. There is no peace because there is no justice. There can be no real peace and security until there be first justice enjoyed by all the inhabitants of that beautiful land. The Bible knows nothing about peace without justice, for that would be crying peace, peace, where there is no peace. God's shalom, peace, involves inevitably righteousness, justice, wholeness, fullness of life, participation in decision-making, goodness, laughter, joy, compassion, sharing, and reconciliation. I have spoken extensively about South Africa, first, because it is the land I know best, but because it is also a microcosm of the world and an example of what is to be found in other lands in differing degree. When there is injustice, invariably peace becomes a casualty. In El Salvador, in Nicaragua, and elsewhere in Latin America, there have been repressive regimes which have aroused opposition in those countries. Fellow citizens are pitted against one another, sometimes attracting the unhelpful attention and interest of outside powers who want to extend their spheres of influence. We see this in the Middle East, in Korea, in the Philippines, in Kampuchea, in Vietnam, in Ulster, in Afghanistan, in Mozambique, in Angola, in Zimbabwe, behind the Iron Curtain. Because there is global insecurity, nations are engaged in a mad arms race, spending billions of dollars wastefully on instruments of destruction when millions are starving. And yet, just a fraction of what is expended so obscenely on defense budgets would make the difference in enabling God's children to fill their stomachs, be educated, and given the chance to lead fulfilled and happy lives. We have the capacity to feed ourselves several times over, but we are daily haunted by the spectacle of the gaunt dregs of humanity shuffling along in endless queues, with bowls to collect what the charity of the world has provided too little too late. When will we learn? When will the people of the world get up and say, enough is enough? God created us for fellowship. God created us so that we should form the human family. 
existing together because we were made for one another. We are not made for an exclusive self-sufficiency, but for interdependence. And we break the law of our being at our peril. When will we learn that an escalated arms race merely escalates global insecurity? We are now much closer to a nuclear holocaust than when our technology and our spending were less. Unless we work assiduously so that all of God's children, our brothers and sisters, members of our one human family, all will enjoy basic human rights, the right to a fulfilled life, the right of movement, of work, the freedom to be fully human, with a humanity measured by nothing less than the humanity of Jesus Christ himself, then we are on the road inexorably to self-destruction. We are not far from global suicide, and yet it could be so different. When will we learn that human beings are of infinite value because they have been created in the image of God, and that it is a blasphemy to treat them as if they were less than this, and to do so ultimately recoils on those who do this? In dehumanizing others, they are themselves dehumanized. Perhaps oppression dehumanizes the oppressor as much as, if not more than, the oppressed. They need each other to become truly free, to become human. We can be human only in fellowship, in community, in koinonia, in peace. Let us work to be peacemakers. Those given a wonderful share in our Lord's ministry of reconciliation, if we want peace, so we have been told, let us work for justice. Let us beat our swords into plowshares. God calls us to be fellow workers with him so that we can extend his kingdom of shalom, of justice, of goodness, of compassion, of caring, of sharing, of laughter, joy, and reconciliation, so that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Then there will be a fulfillment of the wonderful vision in the revelation of St. John the Divine. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessed in glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. Next week we hear John's reading of Mr. Julian Bond's We Must Practice Descent. Join us. This podcast and our other podcast are productions of Little Red Hen Industries. The supporting cast who helps me bake the bread includes... Techno King, John C. Brandy, Alter Ego, Doubting Thomas, Fact Checker, A Small Brown Beef Animal, Seriously, Tiny. Facts are important but are also easy. Social Manager, Abraham Lincoln, Media Expert, Augustus Caesar. Psychologist, William James, Sound Designer, Adobe's Creative Suite, Spanish Consultant, Cameron J.K. Brandy. French Consultant, Leah, The Do Your Own Research Lady, Videographer, Eto Monkoshki, Audio Props, Les Paul. Inspiration, Many Podcasts and Other Sources and of course Napoleon Hill. We also have websites, and you can subscribe to both podcasts. You can even send us a video, audio, or text message. But, of course, you'll have to head to the show notes, either on your phone or on the web, to get the links and stuff. And all those clickable links are in the show notes. 
And before we forget, the artificial intelligence or AI voices that you hear in our work are offered up by Google, Amazon Polly, and OpenAI like we say in the show notes. They don't sponsor us yet but we love what they do and we just love what AI can do when lovingly crafted. Finally, you can find us on Protmatch.com, Matchmaker.fm, Podbooker and Podcast Guests where we consider guests and consider guesting on other people's shows. And really finally, the music for our pods comes from Cute by Bensound and from Piano Background by Nick Simon Adams. As well as from AI MuseNet, the sound effect credits go to Jackson Academy Ashmore, Kanusi G, Dr. Jekyll, Joe Payne, Everything Sounds, MK Play More Stories, ERH, Sand Emotions, Big Pickle 51, and Just Kidding, yes that's his or her name, all on freesound.org. Also, languages are the bomb. Paul.